0: This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna. And I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Darren Burke, business coach for small business and author of The Fourth Moon, a book about sustainable business success. In today's episode, we will be discussing the challenges that business owners are facing post-pandemic. You'll learn how to retain your employees various hybrid models that are being used in workplaces today, and how your business can stand out to attract talent. Let's jump in. Thank you, Darren, for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Sivan. Now, you're a business coach and an author, but for those that don't know you, can you tell us a little about yourself?
1: So I was a chartered accountant, originally Sivan, and then I ran my own startup business, which was a boutique recruitment consultancy in the city of Melbourne. And then for the last 25 years, I've been mentoring, coaching, and consulting to small and medium business owners. And you are the author of The Fourth Moon. I have read the books. I'm looking forward to
0: discussing that. But our topic today is about some of the challenges and areas that business owners are facing post-pandemic. All leaders have had to go through some kind of change around hybrid workplaces. Staff had to go home and work from home for a period of time. Can you talk to us about what you've been seeing in the market and what does it mean by the hybrid workplace?
1: I guess two and a half years through the pandemic, it was very much about moving from strategy to welfare. So it was about how we look after our employees and how we look after ourselves as business owners. And so that was very much the focus. And then what's happened post-pandemic is we've had to pivot. And basically, it's the greatest change I've seen in the Australian workplace in my working career whereby we've had to basically create policy on the run to basically re-engineer or recalibrate our workplace. And so that's led to a number of what I refer to as hybrid workplaces where we've had to sit down with clients and work out our TWT, which is a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday workplace with the Mondays and Fridays at home. Some clients have nominated a Friday off and so they're working the four days. I've got a client that has had a Wednesday working from home, I beg your pardon, and the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday working together in the office. But everybody's finding their way. So there's no one model and there's a whole range of issues I'm sure we'll discuss later around supervision and productivity and so on. This is all being tested live. So no one's got a template or a playbook for how this should be. Everybody's trying to find their way and there's no one size fits all.
0: And how has the hybrid workplace affected culture and businesses and morale generally? Have you seen it as being challenging, but has it sort of been positive in terms of the morale and the culture?
1: Yeah. If I look at the different cohorts from an employee point of view, which I get feedback in some of my mentoring work, the big feedback I've got for that is obviously there's been a great sense of relief and uplift from an employee experience because obviously working from home without the dead legging of the daily commute and some of the downtime and fatigue involved in traveling to and from work, those people have enjoyed more flexibility with young families or with their fitness or with other hobbies and interests, meal preparation. It goes across the board. So from the employee side, I'm only generally hearing good things at this point in time. And Mm. we'll come back to that because I think as time moves on, there'll be other feedback that comes out of the employee experience. From the employer experience, and I guess from a management point of view, it's been very challenging for owners, I suppose, and managers to get a read or a line of sight on their employees. And so while everybody's saying productivity is fine, how do we measure that? It's a bit like electricity. You can't Mm. see it. You can't hear it. It's kind of anecdotal. And I think our clients and customers will ultimately tell us what their take is on that in the fullness of time. So to that end, the new world of this hybrid workplace, the jury's out, I think. Certainly, there's a lot of frustration, confusion, mixed feelings from owners. And at the moment, they feel like the whip hands turn from the employer to the employee. So they're a Mm. little bit reluctant to push too hard because employees might turn it up because they've got so many options.
0: I agree with that. The thing that I so much struggled with is I love leading by seeing people. I'm very sort of touchy-feely type of leader and And I like to eyeball people and smile and so on. And I find it that the challenge for me, especially during COVID when we were in Melbourne locked down for such a long period of time, I really struggled with just not seeing the body language cues. I got sort of Zoom fatigue and it became really difficult to lead effectively when you don't have those people in the room, when you are coaching, seeing everyone in, you know, having that huddle and all of that. So I do lead like that. There's different ways of leadership in this hybrid model. Can you tell us a story or a business owner that's actually, in your opinion, has nailed it?
1: I have got a couple of specific examples, Savant, to that point. One client who's a very high profile Collins Street lawyer, he started to experience that some of his more junior staff had a working from home environment that wasn't necessarily on point. You know, We tend to assume that everyone's got a study or a breakout room and kids are being supervised or at school. And he had a young Afghanistan lawyer who lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and he literally was getting cabin fever. And so what he would do is he would drive over to his house once every couple of weeks and actually go for a walk with him. And this is like the managing director of a firm with 20 or 30 people. So it was quite an effort. And this young worker was suffering depression. He was really struggling with a young child and a wife. And he was really lost. And so that went a long way to helping to understand that because he was picking up in the Zoom meetings that he was a little bit off point and he couldn't get a line of sight on that because he only had that one dimensional aspect. So, of course, when he scratched a bit deeper, it all came out. And then he could build rapport with a worker and then he could say, what can I do to help you do that? Do you need to actually come into the office more? Do you need to be in a different environment? What can we do to help you? And then the young worker returned to his normal run rate in terms of how he's performing. Another example was I've got a theory about management by doing laps. So when someone approaches me and say, "Well, I'm a technician in this area. How do I become a general manager or a managing director?" I say, "Well, the first thing I say to people is, you know, management by doing laps is walking around the office and literally just checking in with someone every day. And if you can just rotate through the morning, the midday, and the afternoon in teams of under twenty, a dozen or more or less people, that's very doable, right? So people have found that." We need to do that more. So if they're only in the office three days, four days, well, you need to make sure that those days you're really on point. And the other one they talk about is the Google collision zone. So it's talking about like basically the classic water cooler or office kitchen or break room. There's something dynamic that happens in that environment where people collide and they exchange ideas. So if I'm in the office and I've seen Dennis, I can come in and say, hey, Zivan, just so you know, I bumped into Dennis the other day and he said A, B and C, or I saw this client and they said this. Now, when we're all working remotely, we have to rely on those transfer of knowledge and transfer of update to happen through a Zoom call or an email or a text. Now, Maybe I go home and the kids distract me and I don't let you know about that. So we've lost that one connection. Now, if you multiply that across the hundred little nuances of what we need to be doing in business to exchange information, something gets lost. And this is what's not being talked about. So I want more people to start this conversation. And and because at the moment we're just talking about hybrid work zones and very sort of vanilla sort of stuff, we need to get to the heart of the discussion because ultimately our customers and clients will judge us on what they receive, not how we do it. They don't care about process. They care about outcome. So I think there's too much discussion around process from an inward selfish point of view as opposed to, well, what's the client and the customer experience getting from this?
0: That's a great comment around that because it's an internal thing, right? Whether you're working from home or whatever, it's how you do it as a business, your outcomes are what you're selling, the service, the product, and that's what the customer sees. So it is challenging, but I love the walking part, the managing director of that law firm going out and going for a walk. I it's once every two weeks and I'm tipping, it's not far. So it's actually a really good way of building rapport. And that building of rapport allowed that next conversation. So I really like that. I'm going to take that one as a tip. I've written it down. We do have meetings, a lot of face-to-face meetings, but just having a chat as you walk. I've never heard that before. And I really like that. So I'm going to use that one. Can you give an example of a business that has nailed that hybrid workplace? And what is it that they've done? Is it those little things that you've just said? Is it the fact that the person's gone out and been on touch point?
1: What is it that they've done well? A gym equipment and gym owner business that I would mentor and coach, they've just decided on the Wednesday being the at home day, which means that they have the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Now, I've got this thing about Mondays and Fridays. It's one of my sort of you know, real particular things. Monday to me is about launching the week ahead hmm. and identifying who's doing what, what's hot, and what we have to close by closing business Friday. Friday is also a very important day because we need to close, right? And so my starting point is if, if you top and tail your week with your Mondays and your Fridays, your weeks tend to go a lot better. I think it's very convenient for the employee to not work on a Monday or a Friday, but if we bump Monday to Tuesday Getting back to our deliverables, well, we've kind of lost a day of getting set. And particularly, as you would know, Savan, with junior staff and young graduates, they're very impressionable. They need guidance. And so we just can't lose a day. A day is 20% of our productivity. And so this Wednesday, this client's using, I've found very, very good. I mean, I don't mind the Friday. 25 years ago, I started the four-day work week. So I ran my first business with a four-day work week. And so we worked very hard from Monday to Thursday. And then we just drew 52 lead pencil lines through a manual diary in those days, in the early 2000s, and nothing changed. The client's experience did not change. Of course, if we had to come in once every blue moon on a Friday, we would. But the point about the Monday to Thursday is that's all well and good. But my point on the productivity is we can't just be like these European countries that work 32 hours, because I think that our deliverables still need to be on point. So I think that the Monday to Thursday model works well with some hustle. Mm. So you have a very powerful ops meeting or stand-up meeting or huddle on the Monday morning. You have very, very clear deliverables and outcomes. And if it means that we have to work nine or 10-hour days to get to Thursday and the prize is Friday off, that's fine. The fear is, is that without that visibility, it relies entirely on the trust of employees doing the right thing, which most people do. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not an anti-employee commentator. But what I do say is, is that it needs to be a two-way street. So people are coming in and we'll get to some of the challenges around remuneration. They're asking for better terms and better conditions and more pay and the whip hand has changed to the employee holding the power. But this working week, we're not there yet and we don't get to decide if we do it right. As I said, our clients and our customers in our market, our external factors tell us. So to that end, the Wednesday was a very good thing because it meant that everybody came together on Mondays and Tuesdays and then Wednesday was the flex day and then Thursday, Friday was the big close. And that business has been very successful and they haven't missed a beat.
0: I want to talk about learning. And you mentioned the graduates and the younger staff in anywhere, it could be in any business, the, the junior, ones that are, you know, that aren't as experienced. But learning is important in an accounting firm, law firm, and on all businesses. We want to train and develop our staff. We want to teach them, make them learn and get better. What have you seen or what is your advice around learning on-the-job training, PD, career progression? What's your sort of take on that topic in this new world?
1: Look, I'm glad you've asked about this, Savan. It's a huge issue. And again, we won't know what this outcome looks like for some time. But what I can say early, because I kind of get to do like a rolling MBA, so it's every day with a different <laughs> business, a different business owner, a different cohort of employees. You get this lovely rolling scrum of intel and data and feedback coming back to you. It's like a lovely feedback loop. And what that's looking like at the moment is, if we used your firm as an example, because it's a classic example in the professional services, but it equally applies to any business because, of course, you're learning from those that you work with. And so, as you can appreciate from your career, a young Savan starts off as a graduate. You work at the shoulder of more senior and more experienced people. And as Malcolm Gladwell famously refers, we do our 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. And they estimate that that somehow works out to somewhere between seven and 10 years. And I'm a believer in that. So if you're working at the shoulder of a master for seven to 10 years, in seven to 10 years, you become partner or you become a manager and your career blossoms on the back of that exposure. Now, if we eliminate those hours on the basis of you, not that young graduate, not working in here with you at the office, and then in 12 months time, that graduate circles back to you and says, oh, hi, boss, I'd like a 10 to 15% pay rise. In the old days, you'd say, well, that's okay. You've done your 12 months and you've stepped up from X, Y, and Z and we'll pay that and you'll be a second-year accountant. And that's all fine. But where the issues are showing now is is that we're getting asked for better terms and better conditions and more wages, but if we're not sitting at the shoulder of the person who we're learning from, there is a loss of learning and professional development incrementally over those vacant days that aren't shared together. And over one year, two years, three years, particularly in an early career, That's going to add up to a lot of missed time and learning together. And so as this lawyer, for example, the senior partner said to me, he said, Darren, we could be in a situation where I'm telling a person after 12 months, you're not there now, you need to come back in another 12 months because your new run rate, the old run rate was one year and now that on this flexi time is now two years or it's 18 months, we don't Mm. know. So this is a really interesting dynamic and I encourage people to think about this because We need to manage it because if we don't manage it, it won't manage itself.
0: And I think I got a lot out of listening into conversations, working next to senior people. It was not even just listening in. Sometimes you'd read something or you're doing a job and you just want to get clarification on something at home. And if you're working predominantly at home, that needs to be an email's not going to work. If it's a teams call, you don't know what that person's doing at the time. So if you've got an introvert and these graduates, they're a bit shy, they're only been in the business for a short period of time. They're not reaching out, or then they're scared to reach out. And if they haven't built that back to rapport, if they haven't built that rapport with the senior people on the team, it makes it very difficult. So I think my take is the hybrid workplace works. I believe in working from home and that hybrid model. But I think if you're young and a graduate or you're a senior leader, you really need to think about it and say, well, what's important to me? What's my role? And how am I going to make myself better? And if I'm a senior person, being at home, I'm not passing on my knowledge. So I think we just need to get those things right. And I think we can move forward. But I wanted to change topic now and to talk about recruitment of staff. And it's been difficult. I want to pick your brain on recruitment because we've got this shortage of the workplace. And at the moment, it's in all industries, accounting, legal, especially in the construction industry. How is it that we just don't have the workplace anymore? Is it migration? You see lots of businesses. What do you think we're suffering from this lack of staff?
1: it's the craziest I've ever seen we've had net migration in victoria where we reside specifically we've had the tree change the sea change phenomenon we've had no international students and no visa workers and we've had people through covid pivot and change careers and vocations and it's almost allowed people to dare to dream somewhat so a lot of people who were in well paid well functioning jobs have said oh i might try something else and obviously then you're working from home so suddenly your vocational direction is impacted probably more from your partners and your housemates and your friends and your family, because you're having those conversations at home in a dual workspace. And so people have made all sorts of bold choices that they simply weren't making prior to the pandemic. So that's led to a range of issues in terms of how hard it is to recruit, because I mean, I'm having clients that are facing 30% pay increases or poaching. Larger firms are now poaching other smaller and medium firms in the professional services. People are paying people's rent to move to country towns to work in hospitality and tourism. So it's very, very hard to compete with these factors. When the other thing too is, is that we're in a high inflationary environment. We've got rising interest rates. So the other factor is, is that we can't just keep on paying real wages growth. Which I do pay reviews with all my clients every year. The benchmark was around five percent outside of merit based increases, and now inflation's at six percent. It's rising more and it's probably heading towards seven. So. Ultimately, you add your inflation to your rising interest rates and we've got margin pressures. How do we continue to do that? Because there is a point in business where economically you have to rationalise and go, well, can I actually afford these real wages growth? Yes, I want to retain the people and, yes, I want to recruit someone. But if you're hiring an accountant and you're hiring them and the wage that you want to pay is now 15 to 20% below market, what decision do you make?
0: That's the question. How can business stand out? and attract this talented staff or staff in general yep. without the wages. It's something that we can do as business owners without the salaries and assume that we, we're not competing on that. What can we do to stand out and attract these guys?
1: I've always been very big in what I call non-monetary or non-remuneration-based retention strategies. I've always been on this, but everybody has to think much deeper about this. And The things that I talk about are what can we do to really They call it the golden handcuffs. So what are the invisible things beyond remuneration we can do? Well, firstly, one of them is mentoring. So lean into your employees. I mean, I used to have breakfast or coffee with my team members all the time, as often as possible. And certainly once a month, you should be doing something like that. Never underestimate the impact on a young person of you taking the time out to ask how they're going and spend time and do some knowledge transfer. The other way is to find them an external mentor. That might be able to add value from outside the organization things like profit share incentive schemes i mean i'm very big on win-win so if we set up our strategic plan for the year ahead and we have our targets carving off anything from five to twenty percent of our operating profit and sharing that with our key people it's smart play and the clients that i have that do the profit share and the incentive schemes on a win-win basis I know there is an aspect of that that comes back to remuneration, but just the very nature of that sets the scene where we're all pulling in the same direction. And then the other thing is, all my clients, we have monthly and quarterly one-on-ones with them to see how they're going. So identify what are their training gaps? What are their professional development needs? Where are they stuck and how can we get them unstuck? Training is something that SME owners are asking about. You know, They're saying, well, I don't want to do online training. I want to get back to physical training. There's so much online stuff and it's not all bad. But we need to get back to how do we actually train and develop our people? If we've got somebody who's really strong in BD or marketing for our clients, how do we add value to their BD and marketing skill set? Typically, you have young people who are particularly strong in the HR or the personnel side that could help us in our business. So how do we give them personnel and HR training that's going to make them our people and culture leaders? So it's thinking more deeply. And again, if we're all working remotely and we're in our own little wheelhouse, we may not be thinking about the sum of the parts. We've got to get back to strategy. And that's been another thing that's come out of the post-pandemic. You know, clients and SME owners have been sitting on their hands for two years. They need to get back to strategy and they want to start hustling again. And this area is where one of the key areas in strategy, Savan, that they need to get back to because it's moving quickly. And if you haven't got your head over it, it's going to race away from you.
0: I agree with that. I think setting a vision, employees actually knowing why they're in the business. like so What's my role? Why am I here? What do I do in this business to make it successful? And I think we forget that people want purpose in life. If they're coming to work and not knowing why they're there and what the business is there, that makes it really difficult.
1: Absolutely. And you've just made me think of something too, in terms of that, knowing what they're doing and knowing my thing is, so I basically work on the basis of every employee having their top five key priorities and then explaining to them how the delivery of their top five key priorities or goals relates to the achievement of the top five goals in the strategic plan. And to your point about knowing what they're doing, once we set sail on the year between the monthly one-on-ones with each of the individuals and then having quarterly town hall meetings, and having a launch and launching the strategic plan and saying, this is what we're right to achieve for the year ahead. And your managers and direct reports will be circling back to you with your individual top fives and, and explaining how that relates to the business. And then every month, having a monthly team meeting and then having a quarterly half year Q3, and then a final year wrap, it creates a season. And then you get basically everyone on the bus. And of course, the people that want to be on the bus elevate and play a bigger game. Your satisfactory type people generally step up to becoming above average and your dormant or non-achievers either leave because they want to hop off the bus because they can't stand the fact that we're going to be talking regularly about this and we're going to be asking them, how are you going? Where are you stuck? What can I do to add value? What role do you want to play? So it kind of sorts out the wheat from the chaff in establishing the right team and the right culture. And then, of course, instead of you being the one voice and having that parental deafness, You have other people in the organisation who voice this and that's what makes it so powerful.
0: I like what you said about the, when you set something up like this, you get the people that are committed, understand it, rising to the top and being on the bus. And sometimes when you don't do this strategy session, the checking in and getting everyone on board, the ones that weren't on board that were just happy to rock up and play a mediocre game, Once the game is on, they want to not be playing the game. They don't want to rock up. And sometimes you don't realize that it's important not only to motivate the ones that are driven, but if you've got 20, 30, 40% of your workforce not wanting to be there, but it takes just, you know, setting a strategy, talking about the goals of the business and all that other stuff. If it just means that some of those people go somewhere else to find what their purpose looks like, it's good for everyone. I think that's really, really good advice. Now, Obviously, with the workplace and the way it is, and business is so tough at the moment, I'll tell you a little story. When COVID first came out, I was very scared and also conscious of what it was going to be like for our firm. And I made a comment after we settled in. It was about two months in. Or was it wasn't even two months. It might have been six weeks in. We're still at home, the first run of lockdowns. And I said, you know what, guys? I think we haven't had a staple team for a long time. No one in their right mind is going to leave right now. And even though we're working from home, I reckon that for at least the next 12 months or at least 24 months, we'll have the same team that we've had at the start. And just that will give us the leverage. And it was the worst thing I ever did because when we got out of lockdown, the first one it was June, July. We had our first resignation and then all of a sudden, In the last 18 months, it's gone nuts. My key staff have not moved. They're the ones that have been here for a long time. We've had that much staff turnover in the last 18 months. It has been incredible. And not only that, like you said, it's so difficult to find good people. We've had to reinvent our business. So my question is, why do you think there was such a big movement was it COVID? Was it them in their homes thinking about what they were going to do? Can you just shed some light yeah. on that?
1: I've thought about this deeply, Sivan, as you can imagine, but I think that I always make a joke that, particularly with males, a lot of workers tend to be a bit in the moment, and it's that annual reflection on the summer holiday after Christmas, walking along the beach. And in a funny way, that's kind of not a bad thing for employers, but with all this time at home, and think about the feedback, you know, there's only 168 hours in a week. And if you're a traditionally busy workplace for 50 to 55 hours a week in many cases, the people that are broadcasting to you are a mixed demographic. If you then take that away and pull that back to home, now the weighting of that feedback loop becomes partner, parents, friends, very narrow
0: I've never heard that.
1: Yeah, so that's
0: a great insight.
1: It's kind of like the pub talk phenomenon. So, you know, I often have young workers and their uncles who've got no idea at all. And he he says, Oh, my uncle told me in the pub that I should come and ask for a 20% rise. Oh, that's interesting. What's his background? And of course, there's no perspective or relationship between this particular worker's vocation and that opinion. So, opinions became very much about a lot of them coming from the same broadcasting. And we all had friends who had conspiracy theories and all of that. And so a lot of people went online and went into their, Google will give you whatever you desire. And so those echo chambers became very prominent. And I was really shocked by people that I'd known for some time coming up with all sorts of interesting views and opinions. So I think in broader terms, that echo chamber of where people resided and who was commentating to them and the weighting of those opinions having more volume and more time led to these things happening. And then, of course, when people in that world started to resign or make other decisions, well, those individuals said, well, oh, well, Savan and Darren have decided to make a change. Perhaps I should. And then maybe they asked the wrong people because they weren't asking their mentors and their bosses and their leaders. And so decisions were made perhaps on different bases. That's one big part of it. Do you think it was
0: overwork as well? Was it the first time when we went into the home, yes, you don't have the commute and all the rest of it, but you're stuck in front of the computer. My opinion is is when you are working from home, especially in an office environment, you are working longer hours. I genuinely believe that. And do you think people just got tired and didn't have that blue light of the sun and going out, driving their cars? Was a bit of that as well?
1: Absolutely, yeah. The vitamin D. We're herd animals. So, yeah, the human touch, the human contact, the not walking outside, the not socialising. So our world's shrunk and... I've just written a recent blog about mental health, and I think that the mental health is another one where how do you see the mental health of your workers when you're on a Zoom call or when they're emailing you? And that was another bit of feedback I got. Very, very hard for, yeah, we've talked about employees. If we flip it to leaders and managers, we're all meant to be these bush psychologists now and understand the nuance of each and every one of our workers and their DNA. Very hard to do, Savan, on Zoom and email, and then be held accountable for the outcomes from that. And, of course, when someone resigns, I always call it the 18th hole, It's very, very difficult to come back from that. So if we can start to pick up the cues, which again, we might pick up in the break room, we might pick up at a staff function, I might pick up from you in a coffee or a breakfast meeting, very, very hard to do remotely. So I think between the cabin fever and just getting basically bored and our world shrinking combined with how we meant to manage these people and do a good job. And so we sort of just banged on with the Zoom meetings and the Mm. emails and phone calls to the best of our ability, but it was never going to be enough.
0: And it's so hard to have a general chat on Zoom. So you kind of got this, okay, let's go through the task at hand. You give instructions, it's finished. And you're like, so how's your day going and blah, blah, blah. And there's a bit of that. I wanted to talk about the workload though. The workload is an issue. I think people are getting that workload elevated in terms of where they're at at home. What can we do as business owners to understand that? And what can we do to support our staff in that space?
1: Most businesses are encouraged to do an audit of their internal meetings and their internal check-ins, and I'll cover both. So with the internal meetings, I've got the MED, the minimum effective dose. So too many meetings is overwhelm, and people just tune out, and too few or no meetings is just diabolical because there's just no control. So something like a weekly ops meeting where we come together and it's specifically ops and not strategy and not HR and not training, And then the monthly team meeting is everything but the ops. And so we have a clear designation between the two. And then some specific meetings around finance and admin or around sales and marketing or something. And that's pretty much the right mix on a weekly and a monthly basis. So there's your meetings, right? Now, whether they're in person or Zoom, I mean, I would encourage people to try and create a workday in the office whereby we do have our meetings. So say, everybody, we need to be on this day. And let's say it's Monday. We have our weekly ops meeting at 8am or 9am and we get set, and there's a couple of other meetings, and on the last Friday of the month, we might have our monthly team meeting, and one Friday a month, we want everyone in the meeting, and then we're going to have a social catch-up. Beautiful. On the mini check-ins, whether it's in person or even on Zoom or on the phone, I talk about cycling through. So with junior staff, it might be more micro. So you might be cycling through on a 24-hour basis, checking in on those very junior graduate-level people or admin support people. For intermediate people, it could be a rolling 48 hour check-in. So say Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. For your senior people, probably either just top and tail of the week on Mondays and Fridays or a midweek check-in. The idea of that is, is so that by the time we do get to Friday and perhaps we are working from home, it's too late then to catch the fact that we're behind whatever that deliverable need to be done by close of business Friday evening. So the idea of the mini check-ins is to say, hey, Seven, how are you going? It's Wednesday afternoon. I would have expected that basically you'd be here on these particular tasks or these client files. Is everything okay for that to go out the door Friday? Yeah, it is. Or I'm stuck here. Oh, what can I do to help you with that? Do I need to bring someone in to assist you? Do I need to bring the client or send an email, et cetera, et cetera? So that way, it's very powerful in setting up the expectation with the employees so that they don't think that you're micromanaging or you're not calling them out of turn. After our Monday ops meeting, I know that Savan's calling me for a mini check-in on Wednesday at. 12: noon for 30 minutes, and I will go about my business, and unless the sky's falling in or I have a crisis, I don't contact you. So it helps the leader and the manager manage your work schedule, and it helps me be free and autonomous to be an independent worker. That to me, is the middle kingdom or the Goldilocks just right, in terms of the dosage.
0: What I'm taking from that is there's lots of communication. I think mean, communication is key, leading by checking in and ensuring that the staff know what they're doing. You can understand their cues of body language, their mental health. So there's lots of benefits of those conversations. We talked about hybrid workplaces, working from home. But I want to talk about the office setup or the premises setup. If you had an accounting firm or a firm that needs an office, an insurance business or whatever it might be, and you had blanket, white piece of paper, 500 square meters, four walls, how would you set that up? What's the new hybrid or the new workplace that you would set up, Darren, in that office environment? What's changing that field?
1: So the idea of the elephant and the flea, whereby the elephant is the office in Collins Street in the city, and the fleas all travel in from the various suburbs, I'd been thinking about that being dead duck probably 30 years ago. But what's happened with COVID is it's fast forwarded probably 20 years. So now what we're seeing is all of this vacant space in the city and everyone reassessing, why do I have to have this big office block or this big office? So what I'm thinking about and talking about with people now is is think about more in terms of what would suit our clients and our customers, which many of them don't come into our workplace, and where do our employees live or what's the demographic of our employee cohort, and then pulling back from that and thinking, well, do I really want to make all my people travel into Docklands or the CBD? What about if we could have a different location that was somewhat centrally located because obviously different people are coming in from different points on the compass, but it might be a little bit off Broadway where it's in an eight to 10 kilometre of the CBD grid. There's plenty of parking, there's plenty of access, and then we flip to the office environment where we've got much more fluid workspace with hot desks, more breakout rooms, perhaps more greenery, more flexibility, perhaps more amenity maybe a, a fancy coffee machine and a bar and some drink stations and just some different things that can break things up, maybe more accessible parklands so we can walk during our breaks. Coffee shops, as they say, coffee's the new smoking, right? You know, <laughs> it no one actually, smokes anymore, everyone yeah. has coffee. So thinking about that sort of amenity for our employees. And also for our clients and our customers when they come in, because if you make it a hassle, I know when if I go and see my share market advisor, it's quite a thing to go into the city and I've got to find a car park and I've got to time my run and I've got to get out of there. And by the time I add it all up for a one hour, one and a half hour meeting, it's kind of half a day. And now we've changed the way we value our time. People aren't so willing to just default into that conventional behavior. So you've got to think ahead of the curve and say, well, how would I structure it? if I was a client or employee. And so part of our retention and our recruitment strategy is to be able to sell an environment like that, which is more appealing.
0: I asked this question a little bit cheekily because we're actually in the market of looking at (laughs) new premises. And I've been talking to so many people about more the fit out and what it would look like. And my take on it is you're competing with the home, right? So what can you do to make it better than the home? So definitely the breakout areas is really important. But just creating an environment where friends in the office can yeah. socialize yeah. in that office in a way. So, it could be bean bags on the floor, 80 inch screen PlayStations. And you don't do that. That could be at lunchtime. It could be, hey, come on the weekend, have a tournament. Or sure. it could be, yeah. like you said, the fancy coffee machine, but extension of that, the bar. It has the nice drinks, it has courtyard, it has this yes. fancy barbecue. It's creating the environment when you walk in, it's awesome. It might even, if you could get gyms and things like that, all of a sudden, I think, may not have happened straight away, but the pandemic and COVID will be a long memory at one point in time. And eventually, as the years go, I still think that we'll be working from home, will be much more than it ever was that yeah. pre-pandemic. But I think that people will come back to the office. But if your office is just a desk and a screen, they're going to stay home. Because I yep. can get a desk and a screen right? Yep. But if it's more than that, it's definitely there. And to be honest with you, if you think about just the past, people make lots of friends at work, and that's because they're at work. You meet your partners at work, and that's there's right. bigger or larger organizations. People meet their loved ones and their yep. future husbands and wives. So I think you could probably do that on Zoom. I don't know. But I think definitely I'm a big believer in the hybrid workplace. I'm a massive believer in the productivity you can gain from working from home. I actually work from home one day a week. I do all my deep work on a Friday. No one contacts me with when I do my planning and my working on the business. And it's amazing. So I think we just need to, as business owners, get a bit more creative, think outside the box, and go for it. But Darren, unfortunately, we've run out of time and I think we can chat for hours on many topics with you.
1: It's been a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Savant. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspenser.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna. And we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's the bottom line.